Hey. Hi. Thanks for not hanging up on me. I appreciate it. I'm like, I'll start recording slash I'll just hang up the phone call, which I have done before. Well, I've ended recorded by hanging up the phone call. Yes. Yes, you yeah. have. Yeah. It's been, it's been a while for that, though. But it's been good. It's been a good run. We're, we're in season three. We learned some tricks along the way. So we're just going to keep it, keep it going. All right. So our disclaimer, because again, hi, everybody. It's Crime Therapy and the views and opinions expressed in this show are solely for entertainment purposes. These views and opinions do not reflect the views of our employers and are not intended for legal, diagnostic or therapeutic purposes. In layman's terms, we are bullshitting. We are reading things. We are applying things. We are like, oh, that sounds like this and kind of like intellectualizingly breaking down interesting cases and or current events and or psychological phenomenon. There's like a lot of uh, Wikipedia articles and a lot of us just bullshitting off the cuff talking about our interpretation of those Wikipedia articles. Oh, the most fun. The most fun. Just be like, oh my God, doesn't that sound like this? Like, whoa. (laughs) No, it does not sound like this and here is why. But you know what? I haven't hated anything we've said for a long time where I'm like, okay, (laughs) even when we're just kind of like going back and forth and we're just kind of spitballing, I'm like, oh, I guess I don't hate myself and you're you've always been funny and I'm yeah (laughs) humor is my coping mechanism at all times it's the healthiest one (laughs) the healthiest coping skill is humor I saw a TikTok recently was that was just like were you pretty or are you funny now and I'm like like, I've been been attacked (laughs) no oh I saw one that was similar to that but like I connected differently because it was a trauma response it was like not all of us who have been through trauma are funny now some of us are just hardened and I was like (gasps) oh they are both true (laughs) no this year has done both to my psyche and that's okay Oh, my God. But also lots to be gra- grateful for. Oh. I think we even did this on our last episode, but I like listened to that. I was like, yeah, there are a lot of things to be grateful for. Also, we're both fully vaccinated now. Oh, thanks. Hebus, whoever above is providing yeah. that support. Yeah, for sure. My coworker and I like to talk about the social work gods and we're just like, just thank the social work gods. Like we have these expected, uh, you know, in- intakes coming in and they either cancel or no show. We're like, Thank you, social work gods. Like, thank you. You knew. You knew. (laughs) Although, can I tell you the sad thing that Alex and I were talking about today is that the U.S. got all these vaccines and, like, we needed them because we're all such assholes that we just kept (laughs) ignoring things and then killing each other. And then all these other countries are just back on lockdown because they don't have the same vaccines. And I went, yeah, I I didn't even think about that. He's like, Canada's on, like, a a curfew right now. And I'm like. Oh, I hate us sometimes. I mean, listen, I love being American, but I also, there are things that are American that are not great. But that's the thing. And I think that's something to think about all the time. Like, just because, like, there are things that we don't like or appreciate, isn't that truly American to be like, hey, that's not cool. We don't like that. Free speech. Being able to say, that's not right. That's unjust. And let's fix it. Not yay, rah, rah. We're perfect and amazing. Because that's not fucking true. So let's get it together. (laughs) I know. I had so many transitions there. I was like, oh, do we want to talk about cognitive dissonance? Like in your (laughs) thing? Or we could talk about how like sometimes like teenagers are entitled and it's kind of like the American way. Or I don't know. I, I try with the transitions, but you're the queen. Yeah, no, you're right on target there. That's that's kind of where the cognitive dissonance of the American dream plus being here plus college plus 
alcohol involved. So I kind of think that's a precursor to what we're going to talk about today. And actually, this kind of was inspired by one of our current events. Chris and I love to do our current events. And this was a current event that popped up on my radar. But it's not necessarily the case isn't necessarily current event. But the article I saw from the New York Times was a current event. Um, and I was like, oh, interesting. And then Chris and I were like, there are things we can do with this. Like, let's turn this into an episode. So we were like, cool, that's awesome. Let's run with it. So I am covering a uh, drunken, it's technically under the umbrella of a hazing case. I, I, this one's a toughie just because I don't know necessarily if it fits neatly under that umbrella. I can see how it kind of is in that view and I'll talk about it more. Um, but this is a case that happened in October 2019 at Cornell University, which is in Ithaca, New York. For those of you that are not from the Northeast, uh, Ithaca has a lot of what's called gorges. Um, <laughs> it's it's <talks> gorgeous. About- <laughs> yeah. And it, 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 it's literally spelled like G-O-R-E. I'm going to just not properly on it engaged and then when I first met my husband we went to our first date and I was like where did you go to college and he was like in Ithaca and I was like where in pretentious answer (laughs) I think like the Ivy League people do this when they're like I don't even know. I can't tell if they're actually trying to be like, oh, I, I didn't go to Harvard or like Cornell or whatever. Which, I mean, though Cornell's not like quite Harvard, but but like, you know what I mean? I can't tell if they're really trying to do that or if it's like their way to like suss you out. Like, do you know where the Ivy League schools are? Again, I, I think it's a little bit of both. I think that is that there are some folks that are like not humble bragging, but they're just like, oh, you know, I just went to school in Ithaca, like an MBD. And there's some people who I have met through different circles who are like, I've been to Harvard. Have you heard of it? <laughs> You're like, no, I haven't. I really, what? Was that a good school? Yeah. I'm, oh, like CMU, that cracks me up all the time when I first moved to Pittsburgh and like, this guy was clearly like trying to impress. He's like, "Oh, I, I, you know, I got a CMU," and I'm like, "The fuck's that?" I don't even know what that is. And I don't even dropped, and I was like, "Sorry, I'm not from here." No, so. so funny. No, but Cornell is a great school. Oh, that yeah. area is a lovely area, and there's also, I think, Ithaca State is there. No, Ithaca. Uh, Ithaca that- College. Ithaca College. Something like that. College of Ithaca. Ithaca. I know there's another good school up there. It's just my brain, of course, as I have to put it under a microscope at this moment, just says (laughs) wrong answer. Where we went, we got engaged and we were hiking like in those gorge areas. And that's when my husband dropped my wedding or my my wedding ring, my engagement ring into a little creek. And then I had to dive in to get it. But yeah, it's a beautiful area. And there are a lot of apparently very dangerous gorges too. Yes. And that's actually one avenue I was going to take it with my social work perspective was um, there were kind of speculations about Ithaca and its location in the gorges being known as like a suicide kind of school. Um, The data doesn't actually support that kind of association um, in terms of just Ivy League you know, mentality in terms of suicide across the other IVs. Um, it's not a higher level, lower level, whatever. Um, but they that is... Though? I think they might have had a cluster. Yes, yes. There was a big cluster within, I think, 2009, 2010. I think they had six or seven. But again, a, running the data across other Ivy League, it's yeah. not saying that Ithaca has a high, or I'm sorry, Cornell has a higher level of suicide rates in comparison to other Ivy Leagues. It's just, you know 
remarkable because the publicity of the area it's it's much more obvious that something has gone wrong and also that area does unfortunately do does draw in some individuals who maybe are dealing with suicidal crisis so you know you also have people that are not necessarily associated with the college necessarily who maybe have um, had a suicide attempt in the gorges so it's the data doesn't necessarily support it so I don't I didn't want to go down that rabbit hole but I did want to clarify that yes that is something that happens on that campus but it's not necessarily a higher rate. The data doesn't support that assertion. So I just wanted to make sure I say that as I jump into my case. Perfect. So, so we are in Cornell University. We are not. We are where we are at this moment. But the, <laughs> the scene that we're, we're setting is in Ithaca, New York. Um, so 18-year-old Antonio Cialis um, he is a freshman there. He was a freshman there. And this is happening during during parents weekend. So Anthony's mom actually flew into Ithaca on Thursday, October 26th. Oh, gosh, 24th, 2019 for Cornell's freshman family weekend. She was excited to see her son, meet some of his new friends. Um, and in the first few weeks, Anthony actually called home often. He was very, you know, connected with his sister, his brother. He was helping them with homework over the phone. He, you know, it was also a club soccer player player he he just seems like he was very connected to his family really engaged really having a good time felt like he was acclimating really well to the college campus um so parents weekend his mom arrives and they kind of decided let's go get um, dinner downtown at a restaurant so they do around 8 p.m anthony told his mom that he had to go back to campus to work on a project but he would meet her in the morning at the bookstore like that was their plan mom i'll meet you tomorrow at the bookstore we got this however Unbeknownst to her at this time, he had gotten texts from fraternity brothers and was told that other invited freshmen um, were going to get picked up on campus at 8.30 to go to a rush party. Anthony and another another group of other Cornell freshmen were allegedly picked up by Phi Kappa Psi members um, and then taken to the chapter house on campus for an event that was um, considered unauthorized and illegal. Um, this was in part because alcohol was going to be served to the underage students, as well as this was violating Cornell's expectation that rush events were not supposed to happen until second semester freshman year. So it was considered a quote unquote dirty rush. Um, 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 um. So upon upon entering the chapter house, the group of freshmen were told that they could not have their phones and they were prohibited from recording or taking photos. There were also claims that the group was instructed to lie if they were asked about being at the house that night. This is according to a lawsuit filed by Anthony's parents. So you're going to have to take some of what I'm saying with a, a, a grain of salt. Um, but that was kind of the impression that Anthony's family and from the context that they had talked to were, were told. So the party consisted of the freshmen going through seven different rooms to participate in various drinking events. In several of the rooms, the freshmen had to chug beer. They had to chug wine. They were given drinks made with rum and milk. That just sounds terrible okay, to okay, me. Okay, okay, okay. So I, I – look, because we're both covering ha hazing incidents, and I'm not going to get into mine, but the stuff that they did on mine was, like, filthy. And then I'm listening to this. I'm like, I would love to have a party where we all go into different rooms and try That's, a different drink. Yeah. Or have you seen those TikToks or on Instagram where like each person serves one fancy drink to people? Yeah. I'm like, this sounds fun. And then That's I'm like, I know it goes bad though. That's why I'm like, this is a hard one. Cause you know, when we think of traditional hazing cases and like I said, I'm going to talk about cognitive dissonance, especially in the fraternity sorority group and athletes, kind of that kind of group mentality environment. I don't 
know if that necessarily fits very neatly into this mold. Like, yes, there was this expectation of you have to drink, you have to drink until you pass and then you can move on to the next room. So I get that element of it. But, um, is it to the level of like Ohio state, Penn state, Oregon state, like Washington state? No, maybe. Okay. But also for some of these incidents, I was listening to like for mine, I'll tell you in a second, I was listening to Nancy Grace. I don't, I never do that. It was like a fluke. I just wanted to check it out. <laughs> and she was talking about it and she was like, what's shotgunning a beer? And I was like, Oh, come uh... on, Nancy Grace. You've never shotgunned a beer. And then, and then the guy asked her and she was like, no, I've never done that. And I'm like, okay, most of us have shotgunned a beer, right? If we went to college or <laughs> beer at a friend's wedding two summers ago like I was gonna say I'm pretty (laughs) confident I've seen shotgunning at like people's weddings like but again that like socially what's acceptable uh, yeah I I don't want to use that like it's not appropriate but you know that's kind of just the that's the expectation that's the environment that's kind of what when if I said they're going to a frat house you're immediately gonna say alcohol drinking excessively there's gonna be hijinks like we we kind of know where this is going and I think some of that even like me is like maybe going into parenthood I'm like I feel like some of that's okay and the, and the thing is actually I just talked to my husband about this because we went past a bunch of frats and I was like would I care and he's like no we don't want our kids in frats or sororities and I was like really because like I didn't know and then we like researched this case too and I was like oh oh I also I mean self-disclosure I was not in a fraternity I was not in a sorority like none of that hoot yeah. nanny but I get it I get, I get it. Like, and that's why the cognitive dissonance part was very interesting to me, which is what my social work perspective was on with this. But, you know, as they were going through the different areas of the chapter house, like in one of the rooms, they were held upside down over a trash can filled with water. They had their heads submerged under the water. It said in the lawsuit, there was like a Jewish room where there was like a bar mitzvah kind okay, of style. Sorry, sorry. Okay. We're no longer having fun though. If you're, if you're being like waterboarded in the next room. Well, that's the thing. I don't know if it was like a dunk contest. Like, you know what I mean? Like, if it was like bobbing for apples kind of style. Like, I don't know. Bad. I think I, I wouldn't want to do that bad. drunk, though. I don't think I, I'd want to do that sober. I don't think I want to do that anyway. Don't I don't, I don't, don't ever do put my head at all. <laughs> well, I would drink in different rooms. I would have a wine room and then a beer room and then like I shotgun a whatever. You know what I mean? At but, a okay, no, no, brisk no, no, no. Pace. Okay, and then and then I also cut you off when you said there was a Jewish room. A Jewish room because they set it up like a bar mitzvah. Like you got to drink until you know that you reach a certain level. I don't I don't understand. And then there was a Santa Claus room where you had to sit on Santa's lap and he told you if you were naughty or nice. It was weird. Um, and then I think I saw something else, like in one of the articles, it was like, there was a tropical room. You had to like drink a certain type of mixed drink and like do some like limbo kind of stuff. So throughout the rooms, again, the freshmen <laughs> were giving given like copious amounts of alcohol. So it, it was kind of reported that in one of the rooms, they were given a full bottle of vodka and they were told they had to finish drinking it before they could even. Oh, no. Yes, 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 yes. Oh, I feel like Stefan, like, yes, 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 yes. So. Allegedly, again, the rooms were designed to induce, encourage, and coerce students into drinking large quantities of alcohol and that the fraternity members should have known that, quote, these events would pose a serious threat to the safety and well-being of those participated and expose each of them to a serious risk of bodily harm. Again, this is what that lawsuit stated. But I mean, if you're having somebody drink a whole handle of vodka, then that does start pumping you into that category, yep. right? Like, yep, yep, yep. Yeah. Yes. So after going through seven of the rooms, many of the freshmen were blackout drunk. They were vomiting, couldn't remember what happened next or how they got back to their dorms. 
The Sioux also said that Antonio either left or was taken from the chapter house, but was not provided safe transportation back to his room. That's so, so stupid. And then here's the other fuck up, right? Not a single defendant in the case has come forward to tell Antonio's parents about the circumstances of their son's departure from the fraternity house that night, and none have provided any information about where he went afterwards. So Except no one knows? No one knows. No one knows how in the hell he left. And the other thing is there there was some conflicting reports, but it, it sounded like at first people were willing to talk and then everybody kind of clammed up. So you also have people that were like not necessarily willing to cooperate. They have their own lawyers. There were, I guess, some individuals associated with the university who were trying to get people to like talk, but they weren't getting anywhere. So it, it, people were closing ranks and they were closing ranks fast. Okay. So... Yeah. Basically, the lawsuit going after the university and also the fraternity chapters was saying that his subsequent death was the direct and proximate result of the defendant's actions. Um, and it kind of goes on to say that the most baffling thing about the situation is that from the time he was seen at the party and then the space in which he was discovered at the location afterward, no one has said anything. His dad actually said no one has acknowledged anything. It's just very baffling and very confusing. According to the lawsuit, the gorge where Antonio's body was found is far from his dorm room and was not on his route that he would have taken, whether walking or driving from the fraternity house to his dorm. So I saw the map and it doesn't make sense how in the hell he would have gotten from the fraternity house to that location. Like it's just completely out of the way it's completely opposite from where he should have gone does it seem like somebody would have to have driven him or does it feel like a drunk person could have been like i don't know where i am i'm just wandering around i i don't know and that's where it gets so confusing because it's like there really is no clear answer as to how in the hell he had where he would have gone if anyone was with him and then there was also some um weird kind of parts to this as well where this is speculation but he was wearing, like, a white T-shirt and a hoodie. He was found in the bottom of the gorge with his hoodie, but his white T-shirt was up above, and there was a footprint, what looked or appeared to be a footprint on it. So not sure if someone stepped on it after the fact. Not sure if – I don't know. It's it's very – there's a lot of question marks with this case. And investigators were not able to determine um, his path of travels or why he was even at the Overlook. The department has concluded that there was no evidence of foul play and he died from accidental death due to fall from a height. So that's what happened that night. So, yeah, the morning after the party, right? This is parents weekend and you're having a parent's worst nightmare here. And Anthony's mom was running late to meet her son. So she sent him a couple of text messages while she was headed to campus from her hotel. When she arrived, Anthony was not at the bookstore where they had planned to meet and he did not answer her repeated phone calls and text messages. She went up to his dormitory. He wasn't there. So she began to panic and went to campus police. Word spread that he was missing. Anthony was missing. And his fraternity members grew anxious in getting trouble for their party, according to the police file. Um, so one of Anthony's friends and sweet mate later told investigators that Andrew Shire, S-C-H-E-R-R, the fraternity president, called that morning and asked him not to tell anyone that Anthony had been at the party. So the fraternity president, who later spoke extensively with the police investigation, um, declined to comment with New York Times. That's where I got a lot of this information from. 
but it is just very interesting in, in that regard. Medical examiner said that the death, again, was due for a fall from a height, uh, but it categorized the death certificate as an accident. But again, how Anthony got to the edge of the gorge and plummeted still remains a big mystery for a lot of folks. So, the and, and the parents aren't even, like, trying to necessarily, like, seek damages i mean they did because of their lawyer but like they were just like they even offered like a ten thousand dollar reward to somebody who could just give them information they're like we don't want to get anyone into trouble we just want to know what happened to our son we just want to know like how this happened um so david i'm gonna not say this right bianchi B-I-A-N-C-H-I, Bianchi, Bianchi, an attorney for the parents has dismissed the possibility that he had died, Anthony had died, um, or I'm sorry, Antonio had died by a suicide and emphasized the frat party um, is the primary focus of the private investigation um, hired by the parents. The quote kind of says, while we still don't know how exactly Antonio died, we do know that it's totally unauthorized and illegal hazing ritual had not taken place. Antonio would be alive today. I think I said Anthony earlier, so I do apologize. It's Antonio. So Antonio would be alive today. So the issues with the investigation, a lot of the fraternity members declined to participate and cooperate. Um, at first, they had not even found Ant Antonio's body um, until two days later. His phone was missing and never recovered. There was concerns with the shoe print on the white T-shirt that was found from above. And again, he was still wearing that hoodie from the time at the party. There were a lot of question marks, but the case was marked as closed at this time. Um, so again, that did kind of lead me down that rabbit hole of like the Cornell Gorge suicide. But again, I don't think it's connected. And again, the data doesn't really support that Cornell has a higher suicide rate in comparison to other IVs. And, so. and I don't know quite where you're going to go with like the cognitive dissonance. Of, I mean, I can sure. kind of assume, but I also go, you know, in my case too, with the hazing, there were a few members of the fraternity that tried to intervene at certain points. And I'll get into that. But one of them got nicknamed the Good Samaritan and he got harassed so badly he left the school. So like, like these guys, you know, of course, like they kind of they do the hazing to break them down and to bond them kind of like in the military. Right. So they're not going to like they're not going to portray the other person. And also it's like so stupid because I mean, this is the thing I'm actually going to get into in my my case is there were laws that were changed. But I also think like even as like a parent or like in society, we should be like, hey, it doesn't matter, buddy, if you get an underage drinking like as a parent, that is not the end of the world. But what is the end of the world is if you let your friend die mm -hmm. like, you know, mm -hmm. and, and I feel like that's a conversation you probably have to have with your kids out before going to school. Yep. You know, like, also, if you have a bunch of kids, like, children, freshmen that come to your house, they're all probably 18, 17, maybe. Like, maybe you provide them transportation back to the safe place that they can go pass out in. No, 1,000%. 1,000%. I just, and I, I literally, I could rant about this all day, and that's why I didn't, like, completely try to focus on my case. But I'm just, like, it's just so, and but also, it's, like, children planning children's, adult events for children. Yeah. 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 yeah you're right. You're right on target. So I'm going to talk about hazing, cognitive dissonance, which my personal favorite phrasing in the whole wide world is this fun thing called mental gymnastics. Because it is. It's mental gymnastics your brain is doing to kind of make sense of this thing that doesn't make sense. So Leon Festinger, an influential American social psychologist, wrote, we come to love the things we suffer for. So Dr. Fessinger was referring to the result of cognitive dissonance people feel when something we have worked incredibly hard to achieve turns out to be quite disappointing. 
One of the best known studies for on cognitive dissonance is the force compliance paradigm in which the subject informed, performed a series of repetitive and boring, boring menial tasks and then was asked to lie to the next subject who is actually an experimental accomplice and say that the tasks were interesting and enjoyable. Some subjects were paid $1 for lying and other people were paid $20 for lying. So based on the dissonance theory, um, Bessinger actually correctly predicted that the subjects who were paid $1 for lying later evaluated the tasks as more enjoyable than those who were paid $20. The subjects who were paid $20 should not have experienced dissonance because they were well rewarded and had ample justification for lying, whereas those paid $1 had little justification for lying and should have experienced cognitive dissonance. To reduce the dissonance, they reevaluated the boring task as interesting and enjoyable. Have you heard that case? Um, I think so. I believe, uh, like, as you were talking, but then I was like, the dollar thing sounded kind of new to me. I'm like, oh, they, they thought that they liked it more when they got paid less? Yes. Hmm. Yes, yes, yes. I heard this in high school, and I was like, what? Yeah, because it makes sense, right? We are doing the mental gymnastics to make up for, we, we see ourselves as good people, right? And good people don't lie. So, well, it wasn't that bad. You know, you know, it, it was all right. You know, yeah, you can do it too. Even though you might be like, this is terrible. I hate this. I don't want to do this anymore. <laughs> but you have, the goal is to then tell to the next person, like, it was fine. Tell the person I'm, it was good. I'm such an asshole. I feel like it's really hard for me to do these things with people because I'm like, no, like everyone would be like, we're going to say this is great. I'm like, mm, I don't nah. want to. Yeah, you're kind but of like that too, actually. I think you and I both would be like, mm -mm. Because again, that mental yeah. gymnastics part, this is where, again, I think, and I highlighted it for myself because I do try to tend to sit a little bit more in that. I mean, people kind of suck. Like, we all have the capacity for good and evil. Like, meh, sorry. Agreed. So, what is cognitive dissonance? So that's a fancy, fancy phrase. That's a $10 phrase if I've ever heard one, right? But it's the feeling of discomfort people experience when our behavior becomes inconsistent with our self-concept. It's the perception of ourself in the past, present, and the future. This can occur when people hold contradictory beliefs, ideas, or values, and it's typically experienced as a psychological stress when we participate in an action that goes against one or more of them. According to this theory, when two actions or ideas are not psychologically consistent with each other, people do all in their power to change them until they become consistent. This discomfort is triggered by a person's belief clashing with a new information perceived, wherein they try to find a way to resolve the contradiction to reduce their discomfort. So you're telling me something that doesn't jive. I'm going to do everything in my power to not make that fit. Even though I know it's true, I know logically this makes sense, but no, 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 it's how, it's how it has to be. Okay, Karen. So ah. typically, humans have rather high levels of self-esteem, self right? Most people in the world, um, which is proven to be critical or crucial aspects of mental health. Unfortunately, people with lower self-esteem are more likely to develop anxiety, depression, and other forms of disordered thinking. Um, that is correlation. That is not causation. So if you're someone that's like, I have low self-esteem, you may or may not be depressed. This is just, you know, what people tend to see in patterns when they're looking at cognitive dissonance and self-esteem. So don't be like, why aren't I? Anywho, moving on. A problem arises when this high self-esteem person is challenged by behaviors. Humans wholeheartedly believe in the commonplace, I am a good person kind of thought process. Therefore, when our actions contradict the statement, our minds are automatically filled with discomfort. 
Uh, I hate to burst everybody's little bubble, but we have the capacity for good and evil. So, yeah, you might have done a shitty thing because you might have been a shitty person in that moment. But you know what I think I, like, really struggle with is, like, a lot of folks, especially because I've worked in drug and alcohol, and there's a, a whole group of people who are, like... I would never do something like that. And I'm like, you just you never have been in one of those positions where that's been an option. Yeah. Like, and I think people really, really like to pretend that there's like these groups of people, like people who will do shady things and the people who won't. I'm like, there's a lot more overlap than you could ever, ever believe. And and, yes. I, and you and I think so that too, even as a therapist, when people start like telling you things and it's not even like the most awful things, but like the way we interpret what's good and bad too is also different. Yeah. Well, that's why it might like with working with individuals with OCD, the concept of like, I'm a bad person is very, very <gasps> threatening. Yeah. And so they're like, I would never stab my parents. And I'm like, you might, I don't know. And they, also, that, you probably wah. won't. Most people don't stab their family members, like, you know, you like the uncertainty that you might, you? could you? Yes. You physically <laughs> have the capacity. I Okay, there's a show I used to watch, and I'm, like, breaking I'm, like, cannot remember the name right now. But one of the scenes I actually, me and my husband always joke about it, is that the girl turns around, she's, like, hates her husband, and she stabs him with a tiny little knife, like, just in the back real quick once. Like, like she doesn't try to murder him, but, like, she's so mad, and Alex is always, like, couldn't you see yourself doing that? And I'm, like, I mean, not really. I, like, I, I in theory, I, I connect to it, but I feel like a lot of people, like, given the opportunity, like, could you just stab someone real quick? Not, like, kill them, but, like, poke them with a knife, like, two inches. Yep. Maybe. I mean, yeah. I, I, Some people would. Adam, like there have been many times where we're driving and someone does something fucking stupid, and I'm like, "Fuck you!" and like flicking them off. <laughs> okay, it's just like no way. Okay, I was like, "You road rage." I'm like, "I don't scream at anybody," and he's oh, like, "Yeah, you just sorry. mumble." So I don't scream, but I'll be like, "I kind of hope you crash into the wall." Oh, yeah. all the time, all the time. Like you know, if you're a car, just yeah, <laughs> I'd be okay with that. Also, the real thing is, I'm always going like 80 or 85. So if you're passing me aggressively, you're going like 100. Yeah. You really should not be on the road. I'm the person that should be going the fastest. <laughs> Come on. Which segues perfectly back into my little lesson because when actions threaten our self esteem, I'm a good person. I just like to drive 20 miles over the speed limit. Yeah, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a, I'm an average human. I'm good you're enough. Not an average person. I mean, you're. I'm I good think, enough. I'm okay. I think we're good. You know, on the like, I think most people lean that way, right? I again, I'm neutral, good, neutral, evil. I'm just like very much like whatever. I think for the most part, I lean on like 65% good, but then again, I'm like meh. You wouldn't be in social work if, but also I think my feeling is. But again, my, I think, but that's it. Because we're social work. My perceptive of that is a little warped and wonky. Like to me, 65 is like, eh, someone else could be like, you're like a thousand percent good. You're an angel. And I'm like, eh. (laughs) I'll tell you my philosophy of human nature. I think that most people are generally like good-ish. And that kind of, but that also like goes into this category of like, do they take care of themselves? Do they take care of their family, the people closest to them, like their neighborhoods? And I think like generally that's pretty good. And most people do want to do that. Most people are not murdering their children or abusing their cousins. You know what I mean? Not doing these atrocities. They're just like being normal humans. And I think it's generally good. But then I think sometimes when other things come into play, like is it an outsider? Is it Mm -hmm. something that doesn't like actually impact you? Or or could you turn that nicest off for a second and like 
you know, smother somebody. But And that's where we are talking about fraternities and having to kind of turn that off a little bit. So, yes. Especially if you are the pledge, right? If you are someone pledging a fraternity, a sorority, and they're making you do these embarrassing, like, degrading things, you're going to have to somehow mental gymnastics your way to make it through or you're going to just be like, forget this bullshit. So, anywho. Right. When actions threaten self-esteem, people must somehow find a way to eliminate the discomfort we're feeling. And oftentimes we resort to modifying our thoughts and beliefs about something in order to make it appear more appealing in our eyes. The occurrence of this process is even more likely when we have an exerted, we've exerted a large amount of energy to acquire something or become something. So if you are like crawling to that goddamn finish line, you are like, this is going to be fucking worth it. Even though you're like, this is not worth it. (laughs) So Right. The phenomenon is better understood when we explain into context of examples. So take the relationship between hazing and fraternal loyalty. Hazing conceptually, right, is a degrading, embarrassing, hurtful process. Logically, one would think that the subject of even just initiating this bullying would kind of create this strong dislike or even hate. And we would feel that kind of reaction to it. Like, I don't like this. This feels terrible. I got to get out of here. However, the opposite tends to be true, right? So victims of hazing experiences, they do experience a blow to their self-esteem. They start to become ashamed of the insane requirements forced upon them in order to become part of this community, like drinking beer until someone vomits or crawling around on all fours on the command of eternity, brother. This contradicts our belief that we are a smart, good, logical person. However, a person must somehow justify this behavior. And what better way to do that than to pledge their undying love for the fraternity? Due to the psychological presence of social cognitive dissonance, the more a person endures during a fraternity or sorority initiation, the more devout they will be in that organization. In order to make up for the inner humiliation felt for this coerced action, the person starts to assert that no fraternity's greatness could rival the greatness of their own, and they have no better friends than those in that fraternity. So we have kind of convinced ourselves that this is amazing brotherhood. We're totally connected. We're totally bonded over this thing, right? Not a bad thing. It's just that is that concept of going to break it down and build it back up. So we need to believe the membership price was worth it. Otherwise, we're fools for choosing to endure it and for choosing a group that would do this to us. And that's why, you know, Alan et al. 2019 found hazed students reported positive outcomes of being hazed, such as feeling a more part of a team or group. Uh, So 62.8% of individuals found that they, you know, had this feeling of being a part of a group. 54% had a feeling of accomplishment or a feeling of a sense of accomplishment for getting through the pledge. That's what I was going to say. Like, have you ever done like a ropes course? And at the end of the ropes course, you're like, look what I just did. And you feel like you could conquer the world. Yeah. So they they like, they break them down and then they get them into that feeling. And they're like, we gave that to you. You can't feel that way without us. Yes. Yes, it's that kind of like corralling them into this like propulsion of accomplishment above from what the baseline was. It's like, if I could do that, I could do anything. Are you going like, to comment on the fucking people that are making or doing the hazing though? Because I have never quite under, and I get the bullying and it's also like, we've had it done to us. You can do it to you. And it's like a little bit of like a satisfaction to flip it, but it has always weirded me out where I'm like, don't you feel bad? I am not going to comment on that in this world i will say it is ringing a bell for me and this is going to be an offshoot of an offshoot of an offshoot right 
Um, I do remember reading data and studies about indiv- – oh, this is going to be just a trigger warning for some folks. Um, so the individuals that have had um, genital mutilation done on them and then oh. perform it on others, yeah. there is a cognitive dissonance of why someone who has had this awful thing done to them – and then perform it on others. I do remember some like twinge neuro firings and ringing bells of wh- how people justify that behavior to perpetuate it more. Um, I can find it. No, no, it's okay. It's okay. I was just there. There I, is I, that kind of like propulsion of, well, I did it so you can do it. Or, but the other thing too, and I, and I didn't get into this and I, I could have, um, but I would also need a 75 page yeah. dissertation, but yeah, like, right, why it gets bigger hour. and badder and scarier and more intense. Like it almost like, you know, gets even more aggressive and intensive as time goes on. So like, I remember, and this is like, again, I went to Penn State, so like, pardon me, but I do remember one of my friends who did pledge fraternity, he was like, yeah, they just like dropped us off in the woods, like. And we had to find our way home. And I'm like, fuck that. <laughs> and, but like, that's not even the worst one, though. No, I would no, I gladly know. Like, walk home from somewhere versus like, I have stuff in mind and I'll get into it when I start doing it, but killing animals, no, drinking vomit, like, I will, I will actually, stuff. yeah, yeah, hi, no, <laughs> bye. So, no, but, that, but that's it. Animals. So, yeah. But that dissonance, right, can produce that feelings of group attraction, social identity among, you know, these individuals after the hazing experience because we want to justify that effort used. So rewards during initiations or hazing rituals that matter in the individuals who feel those more rewarded express a stronger group identity, as well as increased group attraction. Hazing can produce conformity among new members. Hazing can also increase a feeling of affiliation because of the stressful nature of the hazing experience, like your pledge brothers, your class, your group, your peoples. We all did this together and we made it through. So it's not just fraternities and sororities, though. I am going to be very clear about that. This is a common practice in a bunch of different areas. Yes. Let's talk about everyone's favorite pastime, sports. So in a 2007 survey of American colleges found that 55% of students in clubs, teams, and organizations experiences behaviors that surveys defined as hazing, including varsity athletes and Greek letter organizations. The survey found that 47% of the respondents experienced hazing before college, and in 25% of the hazing cases, school staff were aware of the activity. 90% of the the students who experienced the behaviors um, researchers defined as hazing didn't consider themselves to have been hazed. So I'm going to say that one more time. 90% of the individuals who definitionally speaking experienced hazing did not see themselves as someone who experienced that. And 95% of those who experienced what they themselves defined as hazing did not report it. And the most common hazing-related activities reported in student groups included alcohol consumption, humiliation, isolation, sleep deprivation, and sex acts. So those were the common kind of things. Yes. So that... Okay, it's like, okay, but like Gilmore Girls. Have you watched Gilmore Girls recently? Oh, no. Okay, okay. I love Gilmore Girls. But there is an episode where they try to like haze Rory. But like they literally wake her up in the middle of the night. And like that's part of the hazing is that like they pull them out of bed in pajamas. And then they bring them to like 
the school to do like a secret ritual thing and i'm like that feels like appropriate hazing that sounds sounds fun yeah like you can't if you're gonna be scarred from it then like no but if they were like if like a girl's go troop was like we're gonna do like a surprise sleepover in the middle of the night at like to whatever i'd be like go for it you know but god i can't and then your even your thing, sex acts. I'm like, oh my god. They didn't define that in more detail, but that was um, where it kind of ended up. So that's it, it, again. I also I could. There's a lot to this. It's not just like here's this neat little package. I did see some kind of experiences of hazing within workplace environments as well. So that's something that I think also, you know, is important to think about. It's not just like this little pocket of like, I'm out of college. It will never happen to me. Like these kind of behaviors do end up happening in other areas of our life as adults. It's just being mindful that, hey, what what's going on here? Um, and I know we have a case coming down the line where I'm actually going to spend a lot more time talking about relational aggression in women and how that kind of plays a role in this kind of phenomenon. But, you know, that's stay tuned Yeah, <laughs> that case that I will be covering down the line. So that is my case regarding Antonio Cialis and Cornell University. Okay. That was excellent. So my case... I watched a few little things. The only reason I'm mentioning this Nancy Grace one is because I listened to three of her podcasts on it. I don't like Nancy Grace very much, though, so I wouldn't recommend that. But I got some stuff from Wikipedia. But actually, I thought the most interesting article that I read was an Atlantic article. Oh, my um, God. Chris, I didn't even give my sources. What your I'm sources? so sorry. Okay. New York Times, Insider, New York Post, Cornell Sun, NBC News. I actually got a lot of my, funny enough, um, the cognitive distortion stuff I got from a Penn State article. Um, I got stuff from Psychology Today, Wikipedia, Britannica, StopHazing.org, and a YouTube video just about the case itself. So thank you. I'm sorry about that. That was no, my bad. No, no, you're okay. I had a few other like little ones. Um, I also kind of looked at some parenting stuff, which is like SAMHSA, um, I, the Nas- National in- National Institute on Alcohol Abuse and Alcoholism. But I'd say mainly like these are my primary sources because I kept coming back to this Um Atlantic article and and the Wikipedia is actually pretty good and breaks this down. So one of the first things I want to talk about, the 85% of fraternity members report being hazed. So like this is a normal thing that's happening. And I wish I wish I even had like a stronger opinion because I think Victoria, you were saying like you never were in a sorority or fraternity, but I even had like a weirder college experience where I like transferred in after I got an associate's degree. So I was like on the peripheral of all of this stuff. And it like, I never really understood. I was like, yeah, haha, hazing and like frat parties, whatever. Like it wasn't, they weren't my people, but yeah. Mm-hmm. So, okay. So I'm going to start by saying that in 2005, this Penn State alumnus, Donald Abbey, um, he is a member of Joe Paterno's first ever Penn State Nittany Lions football scholarship class. And he was a, look, at I can't even, I had to ask Alex, I was like, how do you say this? It's a beta, theta, pi. <laughs> Literally, that's where my beta, is. theta, pi. Yep. That yeah. sounds like a fake name on Key and Peel, like Comedy <laughs> Sketch Club. So this guy, he donates $1.2 million to renovate this house, which is, like, ridiculous. He also raises another $3.5 million in renovation funds. So it ends up being the most expensive fraternity house renovation in American history. Ew. So... 
And they're huge douchebags about it. They smash holes in the walls with baseball bats, blah, blah, blah. Like, they're trashing the house. He ends up putting in 14 cameras. He, it's also kind of stated, like, oh, he knew that hazing was an issue there, so that's why he did this. But this unprecedented step of putting 14 cameras in all of the common rooms. So this whole house is under surveillance. Yeah. Did they but, know that? Uh-huh, they knew that. They knew that. So then in I'm January... They're so stupid. And but also I think it's also this culture of not getting in trouble. So you're not an idiot if they're all watching you and you're not supposed to be doing something, but they don't stop it. You know, then you're just smart and you know the cameras are bullshit. But so in January 2009, the National Fraternity is actually put on probation because they keep breaking the rules. Like they're not even supposed to be like drinking, whatever. Um, they end up closing the fraternity house. But so what I was reading about this and the Atlantic article did a very wonderful job describing this. They basically said, if a fraternity closes, mm-hmm. you can almost guarantee that it's going to do this thing where it like opens under new management eventually. Uh-huh. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. And so, yeah, so they said the national organization will groom a new set of brothers and like tells them basically don't repeat the old bad behavior. We're not going to go there. And they didn't. So for the first like two years that they're open, they're doing amazing. They actually won this like the highest honor award for like a national fraternity can even offer. So they're doing great. But then apparently there were some private Facebook messages, group me chats where like different stuff about hazing and rituals are exchanged. And then it seems to start again. I'm sorry. I meant to pause for the cause on this guy. Yeah. Is this a fraternity? And there's a reason why I'm asking. Is this a fraternity that's on the campus grounds or is this out in the community like fraternity row? Oh, I don't actually know the answer to that. But we you could look it up. Beta Theta Beta Theta Pi. Beta Theta Pi. Beta Theta Theta Pi. The reason why I'm asking is because I know that there are some fraternities that are on the Penn State campus, like the grounds, and then there is fraternity row, and that that is a shithole over there. Well, I mean, this is you know, this house is what, like five million dollars after renovation. So yes. Oh yes. And like in frat row, they're all like mansions. And then you walk in and you're like, oh God. Like (laughs) disgusting. No, no, this was like really well done. And then they and they they treated it like crap. Like they literally were bashing holes in the wall. Um, if you look it up, it's a mansion. I don't quite Uh, know where it belongs, but if you look it up, I will. You continue. I'm gonna do some scouting because I'm I'm, very curious. Like I would like to live there. (laughs) Like that's beautiful. You sweet angel. So. Um, Tim Piazza was a 19-year-old sophomore engineering student at Penn State University. He was a pledge, um, and on the night of February 2nd, 2017, he was um, being hazed. Basically, they have them do this thing called, like, the gauntlet, where they require each of them to drink from a bottle of vodka, drink a beer, and finally drink from a bag of wine. Um, One of the things that does come up is that he was taking prescription antidepressants, which could have contributed to his inebriation. But honestly, uh, I'll get into this. I want to say later on, it's kind of the end of this little thing, and I don't want to scroll down because sometimes my computer freezes. I think he was at, like, his intoxication was 0.34 or something. So it was, like, four times the legal limit. Like, he's definitely at the place where he could die. So I I don't know that the antidepressant thing is relevant, but it's in these articles. So... 
he he gets too intoxicated and a, a few members are noticing it right like different people have said things like uh there's a group text message that says quote unquote tim piazza might be actually a problem he fell 15 feet down a flight of stairs hair first going to need help so they're seeing that this stuff is actually happening so at one point, he falls down the basement stairs and was knocked unconscious. He's carried to a couch where the cameras capture him having a bruise on his chest, on his left abdomen. So something's happening at that point. But it also could have been from a previous drunken incident. Anyways, so now a bunch of people are saying, hey, maybe we should call 911. Different people are responding differently. One of the brothers threw another brother against the wall after he tried to intervene. Someone labeled witnesses crazy and insane. Um, another guy was like all over the group chats before the whole place decided to delete them after they called 911 later um, saying, you need to calm down. He's totally fine. He's going to be fine, whatever. So he passes out on this couch, falls off the couch. They pick him back up, put him on the couch, poke him in the face, slap him in the face. Um, one of the fraternity brothers, this is the one that I was saying got labeled as a good Samaritan, Cordell Davis, he actually encourages members to call 911, but he's also shoved up against a wall. Like, they threaten him when he's doing that. So, around 3 a.m., he tries to get up once again, falls backwards, hits his head, likely occurring uh, serious head trauma. He fell head first, I think, into a wall and knocked himself unconscious. And then he tries to move again from the basement stairs. And then I think it seems that he has fallen behind one of the bars in the basement. At this point, he's reported as being cold and breathing rapidly. Then the brothers decide to carry him back up the stairs. His shirt's redden up. He still has this thing. One of the brothers tries to slap him on the stomach. And they actually think that this might be why his, um, I just had a moment, what's it called? Spleen. His his lacerated spleen was actually called, um, I was sorry, I just scrolled and my note got messed up, but instead of saying it was a lacerated spleen, they said it was shattered. Oh my God. Yeah. So, I mean, this could have been from the other person hitting him. Another person does this little sternum rub test, which I don't know if you know, but it's like where you take uh. your knuckles and you rub it against your sternum because that's how you can tell if someone's overdosing. He doesn't respond. They throw beer in his face. He doesn't respond. Throw shoes at him doesn't respond they put him on his side they put books on him to keep him on his side so that he like doesn't vomit or choke on his vomit there's so much stupid stuff that's being done here except for no one is calling 911 yet two people end up sitting on his legs to keep him from moving like it it just keeps going on more than one person has hit him more than one person has like moved his body and this has been going on for hours they send a bunch of text messages. They're doing Google searches at this point, saying, uh, searching terms such as cold extremities and drunk person and binge drinking, alcohol, bruising or discoloration, cold feet and hands. So they know something's happening. And they're also sending these text messages to each other like, it's going to be fine, knock it off, whatever. But then at 10.48 a.m., one of the fraternity brothers calls 911. Before they come to the house, all of the, the fraternity brothers clean up the house. They're instructed to delete their text messages. They have multiple conversations about the concerns with um, their involvement, including the alcohol. 
but we'll get into that. So when he gets to the hospital, he has a ruptured spleen and he is in shock. His brain has swollen to the point that roughly half of his skull had to be removed to relieve the pressure. And he was pronounced dead in the early morning of February 4th, 2017. Oh, and oh, sorry, his blood alcohol content wasn't 0.34, it was just 0.4, which is over four times the legal limit. So... Mm -hmm. Yeah. One of the fraternity brothers claimed that after the hazing incident, he looked, quote, fucking dead. Yeah. So the case resulted in one of the largest hazing prosecutions in U.S. history. There was like an, an extensive grand jury investigation. Um, 18 members of the fraternity were charged in connection with his death. Eight were charged with involuntary manslaughter and the rest with other offenses, including hazing. The fraternity was also charged and closed down, and it was banned from campus indefinitely, which maybe. It was on campus, yeah. Yeah. Okay. Okay. So, a lot of the people uh, pled guilty to certain things. Um, the most that they got, like, one of the guys was sentenced to three months of house arrest. Like, someone got charged with nine misdemeanor counts. Like, it really wasn't. I was surprised at how lenient they were, honestly, because all of these guys had, like, so many opportunities over, like, a 10-hour period to call for help, and they chose not to. I was I was pretty taken back by, like, the minor charges. Are you? Yeah, I was. I mean... Oh. And the text messages literally... Okay, so... I had White a boys on a prestigious university in a frat with money... To burn? Okay, so I'll tell you about this part, though. Like, they have these texts. They were able to recover them. The chapter president, Brendan Young, this is straight from the Atlantic article, he was saying he's majoring in risk management. So he he actually articulated that he understood that officers of the fraternity faced greater liability than regular members. And then... Shortly before Rush began in January 2017, he texted another pledge, or the pledge master, and he said, I know you know this. If anything goes wrong with the pledges this semester, then both of us are fucked. And Duh. so he, yeah. Yeah, and then he sent another text that said, between you and me, what are the chances the house gets shut down? And then the guy responds, I think very high. I just hope none of, I just hope none of us get into any lawsuits. And the guy says, you think they're going to sue? And his response says, it depends if they want to go through with it or just distance themselves from us altogether. So like in my head, I'm like, doesn't this show that like you kind of knew what the fuck was going on and you knew that you could be in trouble for this? For me, I'm like, this shows that you were aware. Like, did you need to be? Yes. And you're also in this weird little white boy bubble <laughs> that, like, takes care of its own. Yeah. No, I mean, so, I mean, most of these guys had minor charges, like, low-grade misdemeanors. I, I was, and, and I know that, and we've talked about this. There is, like, some protection to be, like, an upper-class, like, white man in society. But I guess in my head, I'm like, but... You fucking text your friends about how you were going to get in trouble and then, like, you told other people to not get help. Like, is there no way to, like, get someone in trouble for that? Like, it just that was what popped up on my case because there is in, – in the state of New York, I guess there is an anti-hazing law and that was where they were getting jammed up. The prosecution was like, it is wickedly hard to prove. So, like, yeah. to jump through all those hurdles and hoops to get yes. someone charged for that, you it, – it's one of those laws that – Sounds nice and 
ah, really impactful and powerful. But to actually like to do that, to go through those channels, holy shit, the 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 leaps, the bounds you got to be making to prove that case is wicked. Yes. So, no, I think that's why it's like also a challenge for no, these kinds no. of cases. You're 100% correct because I was going to get into like the Timothy J. Piazza um, anti-hazing law, but there, there, there were incidents prior to this incident where people had reported things, but the problem was that if you didn't want to come forward with proof and like, I don't know how you prove some stuff. Also, you had to be like really meticulous and you have to think like a drunk college student getting like beaten up. Like he's not like, oh, it was on January 9th at 6.48 a.m. at the, you know what I mean? Like, so you're right brains developing brains alcohol closing your ranks don't want to get into trouble this is a recipe for a clusterfuck of a molotov cocktail disaster like yes sorry yes no i agree with that so um the grand jury recommended that there was charges against the brothers um they also investigated penn state university um they ended up looking over like years and years of extreme hazing and drinking and it seemed that like very little was done by penn state authorities despite extensive <laughs> records documenting the hazing i know you're over there you're nodding I'm, your head. Yeah. I'm just like it's one of those dumbass things like culture wise that you're like Every like I'm having a cruel intentions like moment in my brain. It's like everybody knows about it. We just don't talk about it. Like it's true. It's true. You're uh, right. <laughs> Son I, of a bitch. <laughs> no, pledges later testified and they confirmed that the hazing had become routine. And they said that pledges were originally forced to drink the extreme and potential deadly levels of alcohol. They'd be physically, mentally abused. Um, and that also includes physical violence and sleep deprivation, sexual violence, emotional abuse, and the killing of small animals were also documented. Yeah. Guilty. Yeah. Guilty on that yeah. one. Like, yes. no, no. No, no. Fuck you. No. So, so this this law did go through. So Tim's law was passed. Um, and they did a bunch of, like, recommendations, like, for the school. It seems like people were very supportive of this. But the, the – and, like, there's also, like, tears for hazing. Like, if it results in bodily injury or death, um, it's a third-degree felony with – includes fines of up to 15000 and years of um, – up to seven years of imprisonment. And there's things like that. But, again, it's kind of like what you were saying is that it can be very hard to prove. It can be hard to prove. And then the other thing that comes to my little baby brain is, like, I could have sworn to you, like, in the recesses of my mind, there was a law on the books all ready to roll, been had ready, that said, like, if you just call, like, an amnesty law, like, if you just call, you will not get into any trouble. Like, you know that. Those are sirens going off. Like, why was that not the, like, jump to for... I I don't know if that was in 2017, though. So, and I, I think we are talking about Pennsylvania law, and there are, um, like, good Samaritan-type laws in place. But I have also, so, like, some of my addicts, and, and it's hard to know exactly what is true sometimes with some of my folks, but I have heard more than one person being like, I called the police and then they searched my bag and then I got in trouble. Uh, and the, I could have sworn like Penn State back in like 2012, 2011, like within the campus that like oh, if you oh, were on campus and then I thought it like went out further to like, oh, that's a great idea, Pennsylvania, like hop, skip to it. So 
may like I said, this is the recess of my brain, like kind of like pinging right now, like the neuro paths are firing. But it's it's true. Like when I looked looked it up just even briefly right now, it says according to Pennsylvania state law, like I looked up Good Samaritan laws. It says minors that dial nine one one in order to get help for someone facing an alcohol related emergency are exempt from criminal charges, even if they have been consuming alcohol as well. This law only applies if the caller remains with the individual that needs attention. So like. Uh. And I also kind of wonder, okay, so it was in the fall of 2014 to drug users. Okay, so that may be why it's more relevant to me and I knew something had passed. But I mean, no, 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 and I agree with this, but like, I guess the reason I went into like the parenting aspect too is like, mm. I feel so bad for Tim's parents. Yeah. But I also, like some of these other folks fucked up their kids, you know, like, yep. can you tell like your kid if you go into a situation and something awful is happening, like you don't need to have fear that you're going to get in trouble for underage drinking. I don't care. Like that is not my, if someone dies that's with you, that I will care about that. You know, like. That's a good point. That's a good point. And I, I don't know about you, but like, I know for myself, like that wasn't something that was discussed. Like. No, for sure not. No. I think my first like alcohol class was like pre-Penn State, like, walking in, like, you got to take this eight-hour online course thing, and oh. and then, like, that. yeah, 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 you know, it's just, like, all right, whatever, but, like, I think it's something also as a society we don't necessarily talk about, because it's very much, like, not my child, my child would never, and it's, like, your child fucking would, so, like, can you just be proactive, please, and, like, maybe talk about the consequences and, like, how to plan accordingly? <laughs> I do that with my clients no, when I, no. when we did and I agree. No, we should get into that. But I would just say, if you're the kind of fucking person who's saying, not my child, it's 100% your child. It's just like if you're the person guilty. who's saying, I don't need <laughs> therapy. You're the person who exactly needs therapy. Yeah. Like, the people who are like, oh, I benefit from this. They're like, no. that Because oh. that takes insight you obviously don't have. But yeah, yeah tell me. Because you do it with your clients. I do with my clients, too. I've done that with, when I worked in my college age population. Like, a lot of them are under the age of 21. And I'm like, you let's let's call a spade a spade here. I'm over 21. I know you're going to drink. I know that's going to happen. Be smart. Do it in a safe place. Who are you with? What's your surrounding? Where is your phone? Like, is it fully charged? So we would talk about like safety preventative strategies because I'm like, you're going to do it. Like it's going to happen. Let's just be safe about it. So you're not ending up wandering around, having something terrible happen to you, or worst case scenario, your friends fucking ditch you. So that was another thing we had planned for. Like, if your friends ditch you, like, who's your backup plan? Like, what's your deal to get out of there? Where do you know where you are? Did you get an Uber? Did you take the bus? Did you walk? So like, I would do a lot of like planning with my my people because I'm just like, I do not want to wake up and see your face on the 10 o'clock news because something happened to you. On a camp, on a college campus, I don't want to do that. I think so. people don't like to have these discussions too. Like we've talked about no. this in regards to suicide as well. But I've talked to like some of my folks, you know, or even like okay, I have like recently client that was talking to me about like potential jail time, um, and she's like, you know, this is not something that's probably going to happen, but eventually it could happen. And I'm like, okay, and she goes, well, then if that happens, then everything goes to hell. And I'm like, okay, so let's say the worst case happens, you go to jail. What do you do? Like, let's get a plan together so we can figure out how you can get out without things going to hell. Look here, at you so. doing some decatastrophizing yeah. Socratic yeah. questions. But I think, like, people don't want to have this discussion because when you're with, especially with your own kid, because you're like, your kid's going, I'm not going to drink, mom, or like, we're responsible or something, you know, and they're 19. Like, you probably know they're going to drink, but like, you're not like, let me tell, let's talk about our drinking habits together. But like, you should. You have let's to have uncomfortable talk about conversations. The difference between like a Mike's Hard Lemonade and a beer. Let's talk also, about the difference between a 
fucking four loco and like ah, doing something yeah. stupid. Well, they don't uh, have the good four locos any longer. But anyways, um, <laughs> they're, they're not they're not the same. But no, so I mean, the other thing is, I kind of feel bad for some of these these males as as being mm-hmm. boys because I bet you like some of us were told don't leave your friends if something happens like there I think there is that and then with the guys it's like I'm gonna slap you on your back and you're gonna get up and yeah. you're gonna be fine. well you're yeah it's a great point and I didn't even think about that my implicit bias of being a woman like protect yourself protect your surroundings who are you with you're right it, it is possibly that like culture of you're a man drink suck it up like take care of yourself so when shit does hit the fan and you're not prepared for it, like, what do you fucking do? I just want <laughs> my man. Know, like, I want my kids to know. And I, I wish society in general, it's like, if you ever have to err on the side of caution, let's try to, like, help people versus not, you know, if yes. you can. You know, like, yes, I would rather... And, and, and it short-term saying, consequences, yes. long-term consequences. Yes. Consequences. Let's, let's think it through a little. Like, yes, you're going to feel like shit and you're fraternity brothers are probably gonna be pissed off at you but if you just saved that person's life like fuck it fuck it we'll find you a new school I don't give a shit (laughs) no and like and the one guy um his name was Cordell like I was reading about him and it's just so sad because he was like they were like literally saying oh hey good Samaritan like because he was one of the people pushing and like this fucking kid died like it wasn't like the kid was fine the next day and your fraternity brother tried to get help and he was you know spazzing for no reason literally this guy was gonna die he tried to intervene and you wouldn't let him and then you harassed him so like yeah there's some there's like certain ways like where you're just not gonna win but like you will win that being a part of this kind of culture and I mean and that's the thing I was looking at I was like how I like I was I just want to deep dive of how do you prevent this kind of stuff just intrinsically like and 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 because you're talking about like as a fraternity but I'm also like how do you breed these characteristics <gasps> where if things start going wrong that the person can go this is wrong did you did you go micro and I went macro <laughs> yeah oh, yeah look at us covering like, the bases you know I think it's just even reading about the parents are just like they seemed like yep. great parents and this kid seemed like a great kid and like they're yeah. so you can't go oh where did the parents go wrong or where did the other parents go wrong but you can kind of go maybe society yeah. should also be if we want to think of macro like saying this is what you do when things go wrong instead of pretending that they never happen yeah why don't people know what to do when somebody overdoses or drinks too much like they knew to put him on his side but like if your extremities are cold you're dying because (laughs) calculus is much more important than caring about other people like you gotta get that 4.0 yeah like so yeah no i mean uh, i mean also somebody in that group did um did know that if you do those knuckles on your so uh, chest someone is a smart person we want that person in our circle except for but if you know that and you're doing those knuckles and somebody's not responsive that's a bad sign so that should have been the step to really do something else it shouldn't have been like oh he's not responding huh that makes me think about just like how our brain kind of ticks into that like when is it time to like get out of the sinking boat and when is the time to say like oh shit double down like you know what I mean that kind of like mental workings weighing the pros and cons of like oh fuck like it's gonna go bad you might as well do the right thing versus like no there's still time like double down save we gotta save the group you know what I mean like people are fascinating they're so stupid I'm like everyone could have literally left one person who was comfortable calling the police could have stayed and they could have handled it that way 
That's you know I what I mean? Yep. They're like, oh, we're gonna pull. but yeah, but, but that but that was like kind of where I went my social perspective. Also, it's like we've talked about this previously, and my only other summary is like, don't encourage kids to drink at home. Like, model appropriate behaviors, but like, don't provide them alcohol. Don't encourage them to go get fucked up. Like, yeah, that's where. Okay, so remember affluenza teen, and I kind of went down that rabbit hole yeah. of like just like substances on the brain as a youth, and like appropriate social parenting interactions blah, blah, blah. like that's just like bing 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 in my brain right now so yeah yeah oh I mean I think all of these people had some effluenza they were like oh it doesn't matter if he dies because we don't want to get in trouble and ruin our night I think that's like a little bit of what happens and I, I think it's really uh, like with your guy I'm like it seems like it's a little bit more confusing with what happened and how he passed away and like how he ended up there ours is very clear on mine very cut and dry do and it's like you drop the ball so many times by so many people and like and you didn't get that you didn't get like no one really got in that much trouble like yeah yeah. someone should have to pay for that but whatever anyways yeah okay so that's helpful to know in terms of just like okay so we know in pennsylvania there are some good samaritan laws so if you are not in the state of Pennsylvania, maybe do some research. Maybe if you have a youth, like a nephew, a niece, a child, a human that you care after or someone you care about, maybe you talk to them. Lean into that discomfort a little bit. Just be like, hey, I see you. I see you're thinking about these things. And it's never too early to start talking about it. Kids start drinking as young as 14. So we might need to get on oh, in there. I mean, kids start drinking in elementary school sometimes, too. And, I was trying yeah, to okay. soften the blow. But, okay. like, thank you for shattering okay. the illusion. <laughs> also, like, people who have, like, alcoholism and addictions are oftentimes have started drugs substantially younger than yep. average. But also, you can have age-appropriate dialogue with people. Yeah. yes. Absolutely. And with little guys, too. Like, you could be oh, yeah. three if somebody sees something weird. Or, like, okay. if mom's having a glass kids of wine, it. like, kids it can also be understood. Yeah, oh, exactly. Kids, yeah. kids are fucking little sponges. They fucking know. No, I know. I mean, but, Alex and I have a plan. I'm like, if I have to have, if I have more than two drinks, then you have to hang out with our baby. And I can go away for a little bit. Yeah, cool. Yeah. I mean, I know I was a little, we've talked about this. Like, I'm a little baby anomaly. Like, I didn't really start drinking. I didn't even, like, even when I turned 21, I was just like, Nah. No, 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 actually, me too. But I did drugs before I drank. Alcohol. But like even drugs, like no. yeah. But like, I drank alcohol much later. Actually, grad school it was like our little group of friends got me really into gin and tonics, and that's when I started drinking more. But see, my taste buds are very peculiar because, like, I remember tasting. I think it, yeah, the person that would make gin and tonics, I'm like, Ugh, gross, pine cones. What? <gasps> I, like... I want all the pine cones. I can't wait until I give birth to this baby. But I'm, yeah. I'm thinking tequila. I for my birthday I somewhat my uncle made like a tequila like little margarita slushy and I was like after like not even a half of a glass like my head hurts I need an I need an ibuprofen I'm like is this it is this how it's three three in a large (laughs) glass of ice water oh it sounds so good right now okay anyways anyways this is our alcohol episode where I'm feeling triggered no it's just hard in seven months but again I kind of circling it back we have a plan. We know our parameters. We have observed our limits. We kind of know those things. We have a plan if things do not go well. That is like 
what happens as you get older and you, as you experiment and you try new things, but doing it in a safe, protective way. So that way, and if it does shit hit, does hit the fan, what is your plan? Like, as I, t- I like to tell my people when I'm doing safety planning with them, when I'm like, okay, if you're in a crisis, what are you going to do? They're like, I'm not in a crisis currently. Yes. But like, if you see smoke outside, you know, to call 911. Like, I don't have to tell you that, you know, that. So like, if you're hitting the fan, what is your plan? It doesn't mean your plan is going to need to be employed, but what the fuck are you going to do? And they're like, oh, okay, that makes sense. So be thoughtful, be mindful, learn yourself, who are you with? Fraternities are weird. <laughs> I think that's where yeah, I'm going to I'm like, I don't know if I want my kid to do that ever, but uh, yeah, I don't know. It seems a little dangerous, a little weird. Nah. A little weird. A little yeah. weird. Talking yeah. as two outsiders looking in, but still seems a little weird from the outside. I don't but, want my kid to ever feel like they need to binge drink. You know, I think that's a fair drink thing. Vomit or I kill think... small animals to be liked. Huh. It's oh, just, it's no. Weird. That's that's where we say, <laughs> not for us. No, no. <laughs> you might need psychological intervention. Okay, good. I yeah. <laughs> like, no, no. Okay. Like, on that note. On that, on that note. <laughs> it's our time. Love you. Love you. Bye.